not insignificant. You are not unimportant, but you are the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. You are not your past. You are not your struggles. You are not your faults. You are not your mistakes, but you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, and you shall show forth the praises of a most high God. And today there is a word from the Lord. We've been quite a while in the book of Romans. We're coming to the end of the book of Romans. And please be praying for us as we're getting ready for the next sermon series. We've been doing an exegetical sermon series, extrapolating principles from the word of God. And today we rest our hat on Romans chapter 13, verses 8 to 10. For all of you who watch me online and and all of us watching and worshiping with us online, I want to say this morning, God bless you. Give them a hand clap this morning. Thanks to digital technology, somebody let me know um, the other day. Not only did I watch the sermon, but I watched it several times, and I shared it with other people. Thanks to digital technology, now we can share the word of God, and we don't have to keep it all to ourselves. You're not going to get all of this. You're not going to get the feeling and the power just watching it from the screen. God can work anywhere, but there's something about corporate worship, but the word of God is effective wherever it goes, and we're thankful for that. If you could stand for the reading of the word of God, if you can. Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10, this is what we're going to be talking talking about today. Romans chapter 13, 8 through 10. You can have it on your digital devices. It's on the screen as well. We're going to read it through um, from the ESV, and then I'm going to the New King James. Let's read it together. What does it say? Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandments, in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. From those scriptures and other related scriptures and aid of the Holy Spirit, I want to preach to you from one word today, and that word is indebted. Everybody say, I'm indebted. (coughs) You may be seated in the presence of God. Speak your servants, listen. If this is your first time here, I want to say welcome. Uh, welcome to our family. Uh, we don't wait until you come back once or twice. Once you're in, we got you. You're your family, and we love you. Give a hand clap for all those who may be visiting today. As we've gone into the second part of the book of Romans, we talked about doctrine a lot, and sometimes people can get bogged down with doctrine, but doctrine is important to believe because we don't know how we should behave until we know what we truly believe. We need to know why we're saved, and we've watched Paul talk to us about Romans 1 and 16, the crux of all of humanity, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of salvation unto everyone who believes, first to the Greek and to the Jew. He's also let us know that everybody needs salvation and the salvation is uh, is there for all. Why? Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and that we need Christ Jesus. He's let us know that if we receive salvation, there is not, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but walk according to the spirit. He's let us know that we are a new creation. He's let us know that although we deserve death, hell, and the grave, that God in his 
preeminent love has died for us, that God has sent his son wrapped in swaddling clothes uh, and laid in a manger. He is God with us. The, Isaiah calls him Emmanuel, God with us. He is God in the flesh. He came to die a death that we needed to die, but we could not die because we were not worthy to die. And he died in our place. We've learned that Christ is the propitiation. Everybody said propitiation. We've learned that Christ is the substitute for our sins. He is the substitute. He paid our penalty. And because of that, we should show him forever a debt of gratitude. And then we got to Romans chapter 12, and Paul says, now that you know that you were a sinner, now that you know you deserve death, hell, and the grave, now that you know that the grace of God is available to all and that God died for all, and now that you know that since you've received Christ Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, not just your Savior, but your kurios, your controller. That's what it means in the Greek, the Lord Jesus. He determines how you live your life and where you go. He determines what you do and how you do it. He is no longer just your Savior, but he is your Lord. He is the, he is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. He says, now that you know all of those things, I beseech you. He says, I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, that you give your life holy and acceptable to God. He said this is your reasonable service. In the original Greek it could be better translated that this is your spiritual act of worship. What we just experienced right now was intense worship and that's good. That's what you call corporate worship. We've all come together with one mind and one accord to worship God but there is a deeper level of worship that the Father seeks that we see in John chapter 3. He says that this is that the Father would see those that worship him in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? That it's good to come together corporately and raise your hands, but the best worship you can give to God is not your hands raised on Sunday, but your life lived on Monday. <laughs> that when I live my life, that my life gives glory to God because I live this way, God, because you are worthy and you are worth it. The word worship comes actually from an amalgam of an English word that means worth ship. I show you that you are worth it by how I live. And so I'm going to present my body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Why? He says, this is how I glorify God. Let your light so shine that men might see your good works and not glorify you, but glorify your father in heaven. If you want to really glorify God, just live right. <laughs> if you really want to glorify God, just treat your neighbor right. If you really want to glorify God, give him your life. As you hear me say sometimes, for real, for real. Everybody say, for real, for real. Why did I put a, 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 a double a doubleness on that for real, for real? The Bible does that sometimes. It'll say truly, truly. That means you need to pay attention to what's been said. I said for real, for real, because some people say it's for real, but you have to know that you know that you are completely committed and submitted to God. That's where we got and we hung our hat at the top of Romans chapter 13 last week as we talked that where it said, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that that was given to God. And we learned that authority is something that is given with God and we can sometimes not give preference to authority because we look at the person and not the institution, but God has placed authority in government, God has placed authority in the church, God has placed 
authority in the family simply for one reason, because you cover what you care about. You cover what you care about. You have insurance for your car. You have insurance for your house. You have insurance for your cell phone. Why? Because you cover what you care about. I wonder how many of us have insurance for our Bible. Let me stop meddling and let me keep on going. But you cover what you care about. (laughs) I wonder how many of us have insurance for our prayer lives, that nothing will get in the way of our prayer time, that we covered so much a connection with God that we've set it on our clock, that nothing will get in the way of me praying. Pastor, I've got 30 to 40 minutes a day or 15 minutes if I have a busy schedule where I can sit down and do nothing but talk to God, and I cover and I covered that time, and nothing can get in that way. I cut my cell phone off because I care about a relationship with God beyond Sunday morning and you cover what you care about when you care about something you submit to it and you allow its authority to take place in your life and to emanate and to guide you and now Paul is getting into Romans chapter 13 because the first half of Romans Paul talks about what we call doxa or doxis Uh, that means doctrine or belief now he gets into Romans 12 and he talks about what they call praxis and that means doctrine and practice everybody said doctrine and practice It does no good to know doctrine if you don't do what it says. The Bible says, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If you know what the word says and you do not do it, it does not work for you. You have to walk the word out. Christ has done the heavy lifting. You have to do absolutely nothing for your salvation. But it's by grace through faith that you have been saved. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You don't have to do anything for your salvation but repentance and faith. But if you're going to live the life that God has called you to live, the victorious life that he's called you to live, you are going to have to follow principles that God has put in place for you. He wanted you to know that you needed to obey our authority because when you obey authority you get less tickets you get less jail time you get less sickness you get less disease you get less headaches and heartache you get less divorce you get less strife when you do it God's way and you submit to authority but today he wants us to let us know something else Paul says this now that you've known how to submit authority I want you to learn this oh no man nothing except to love him Now, somebody would say, Pastor, I've done my finances, and I'm good, and I'm debt-free. That's not what he's talking about. Paul is using an expression to say it this way. He would say, if anything you are indebted to anyone for, it's to give them love. That Paul is saying that we have an obligation to love those around us. In Romans chapter 13, verse 8 through 10, I am going to read it in the New King James Version. It says, Owe no man anything except to love one another, for he who loves one another has already fulfilled the law. There are a lot of people still trying to be right with God by what you can do. But all you have to do to be be right with God is to believe in Christ Jesus and his sacrifice and his atonement for your sins on the cross. And that he's coming back to quicken the living and the dead and that he is indeed the son of the most high God. Just simply to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he's saying, I'm going to let you know how to have a nice life on earth or a better life. It does not stop you from having 
having trials. It does not stop you from having tribulations. It does not stop you from having headaches and pains. But he's letting you know that no matter how financially free you are, that you will always be in debt. You're indebted. The text raises the question because it says this. It says that for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, Paul saying, in case I forgot something, all are summed up in this saying merely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when I read that and I'm looking, the first thing that pops out to me is just like the rich young ruler who came and God said, you know, the commandments. And he wanted to try to get around what Jesus says. And he asked a particular question. He says, well, who then is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Is that the person that lives in the closest vicinity and proximity to my house? Is that the person who lives in my neighborhood? Who is the person that that lives closest to me? Is that my neighbor? No, your neighbor is the person that you come in contact with. Jesus tells the story of a man who who came and he 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 was beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. And he was a Jew and all of his Jewish brethren passed him by the priest and the prophets passed him by all of the people that you thought would help him had left him sitting there for dead. It was not until a Samaritan passed by a person. And you have to know the history of Samaritans and Jews. Samaritans were considered half breeds Samaritans were in the north and they had another capital. They weren't in Jerusalem. They were in the two kingdoms to the north and they worship in Samaria and, and here's the thing that they were looked down upon by the Jews the Jews didn't like them and they didn't like the Jew they didn't get along they didn't talk to anyone that's why when Jesus talks to the woman at the well who is actually a Samaritan woman she's dumbfounded that Jesus would even talk to her for one that she's a Jew of a, a woman and two that she's a Samaritan and they hated Samaritans so much that Jews could get to their next destination by simply walking through Samaria, but they would add extra days to their trip and go around the country just so they could say that I am not going through and interacting with the Samaritan. And here this man is beaten and bloody and about to die on the street, and the person who picks him up doesn't even go to church. That's what Jesus is saying. The person who picks him up is not the deacon or the pastor. If you read that text, it's the priest that passed him by. It's the old no good for nothing, not believing in God, believing in the wrong God person that comes along and picks him up and pays his debt at the end and says, if there's anything left when I return, I'll pay it. And God is letting him know that it doesn't matter who you think religiously you should be able to have as a neighbor. The the person who is your neighbor is the person person who needs the love of God. And there are all people who need the love of God. Those who don't know Jesus, they need the love of God. They are not our enemies. They are our mission. Our goal is not to fight the unbeliever. Our goal is to go out into the hills and the highways and the hedges to compel men to come to Christ. They are our neighbors. And Paul is asking us a question through the text today. Who is my neighbor? After he's instructed us about on the governmental level, he's going to bring his teaching down to a personal level. And after telling us Christians about submission, he reminds us of the debt that is owed and that debt is love. 
But why are we required to love? What is love? Why are we required to pay it forward? Why? Because this is what Christ says. He said that this is what I want from you, to love one another as I have loved you. Amen. Lest we forget. Jesus tells a parable of a man who owed, he owed a great amount of money. And he, he was supposed to be thrown in the debtor's prison because he owned that amount, owed that amount of money. And he could not pay that amount of money. His punishment was to be thrown in prison for the rest of his life. But the, the ruler decided, I will let you go. I'm going to show you grace and I'm going to show you mercy. And he let that man go of his debts. And when that man got let go of his debts, he decided to repay the person who owed him a small, measly amount by choking him out and threatening him to pay me my money or something bad is going to happen to you and the Bible says that when the ruler found out he was so intense since that he grabbed the man that owed him the money how dare when I forgave you of so much you not forgive somebody of so little I'm going to cast you out and throw you into a prison what is God saying how dare when he has forgiven us our sins and the things we know we need to go to hell for how dare we not extend grace and mercy and love to those who need it How dare we not be concerned for the sinner? How dare we not want to reach out to those who need the love of Jesus Christ? John chapter 13, verses 33 through 35. They'll pull it on the screen, and we'll read it together. What does it say? Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where you are going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. We forgive because we've been forgiven. We love because we are loved. The Bible says we loved him because he first loved and we are in debt, and it's a debt that we can never pay off. Luke chapter 6, verses 32 through 36. I want you to read this because this is important. We need to learn this, especially in the body of Christ, because we have what you call in Latin a quid pro quo, a this for that. I'll only do this for you if you do that for me. Let's see what Jesus says about that type of mentality. What does it say? If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Hmm. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. <laughs> he is kind <laughs> to the ungrateful, to the unthankful and the evil. So we need to be kind to the ungrateful 
and the unthankful and the evil. We don't have a problem with this text. Why we're talking about love one another that's in the building, because we all like each other. We have a like mind of one another. But what happens when we come up on somebody who does not know our God, who lives a lifestyle that's contrary to what our God says to live? How do you respond? That's it. But what most times do we, does the church respond with? We should. That's how we should respond. But how many times have we responded with anger? How many times have we sought to be understood before we seek to understand? Did you notice in John chapter 3, before Jesus ever tells the woman at the well a word about what she had done, he already knew what she would do. He sat there and talked to her about who she was. He already knew who she was. He already knew that she was what we call shacking up, that she had been married five times and now she's cohabitating with somebody. He knew he didn't approve of her lifestyle when he started talking about it. He knew she was on her way to hell living in sin when he talked about her. But that's not how he opened the conversation. He said, can you give me something to drink? Could it be that some people the church misses before because we tried to clean the fish before we catch it? Could it be that we don't show actual love and concern for the person and they can't, they can't translate that you have a love and concern for my soul because you look at me in the current and all you tend to do is tell me what it is I'm doing wrong. Could it be if you actually just asked me how my day was? Could it be if you just looked at me and said that although you might be in sin, it's the truth that you're missing the mark and you're not going to heaven right now, but I don't see somebody that's completely lost. I see somebody that I have an opportunity to share the gospel of Christ with because I remember somebody wrote a song that was about me. It said, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that not saved a wretch like you or you. He saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. Sometimes we are not able to reach our neighbors because we forget that we at some point in time were lost ourselves. We sit on our holy hi-hats looking down our noses at other people and we can't minister to them because we forget I once was lost. But now I'm found. I once was blind. Why can't they see it, Pastor? Why can't they see that shacking and living together is wrong? Why can't they see that sex before marriage is wrong? Because at one point in time, if you be honest, you couldn't see it either. Because the God of this world had blinded your eyes. But when we see, we start judging other people's sight. Jesus says, how dare you judge the speck in your brother's eye when you have a beam in your own eye. First take the beam out of your speck, out of your beam, out of your own eye. Take the two by four out of your eye before you start trying to clean up the sawdust in somebody else's. This is how. You love your neighbor. The word of God says, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. 
Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 40. What does it say? Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Let's see what it says. And over his head, they put a charge against him, which read, this is the king of the Jews. Hmm. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. Hmm. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come off the cross. Let's keep going. Go down to verse 41. <laughs> I'm calling the audible. I want you to see something. Hallelujah. They pulled up 27, but that, was, that wasn't a mistake. That's, that's the Lord. Because what comes after this is they find Jesus, and he's sitting between two thieves. <laughs> two people who deserve death, hell, and the grave. Matter of fact, one of them was honest enough to admit it. The man in the middle, he's, he's a, he, he deserves none of this. We deserve this. We were guilty. We deserve execution. This man has done no wrong. But when he sees Jesus being mocked and Jesus dying, he knows there's something different about Jesus, and he realizes, he sees that he is God in the flesh. And you know how I know that? Because if he didn't, he would have said, well, this is it for all of us. But he says something that's startling. If you look at his statement, his statement is not the statement you would give to somebody, a human that's dying on the cross. Because you say, that's it for us. He says, this is not the end for you. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He didn't speak in tongues. I know we're Pentecostal. He didn't get baptized. He didn't do any of those things. But immediately Jesus turned to him and said, this day you will be with me in paradise. Amen. <laughs> Jesus took time to love his neighbor even while he was dying on the The fact that he died on the cross means he loves his neighbor. Matthew 22, 37 through 40 says this. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the, and, and, and the prophets. So the love for our neighbor can be summed up in one sentence. I want you to get this sentence. If you want to know how to be like Jesus, if you want to know how to be spiritual, if you want to know how to be spiritually uh, mature, I'm going to give you a sentence that would change your life. Everybody said treat everybody, everybody. like you want to be treated. That's what love your neighbor as yourself says. No matter how angry you were at yourself, no matter how depressed you were, I guarantee you, you might be thinking, I'm going to end it all. But when your stomach starts growling, what do you still go do? Because whether you admit it or not, you love yourself. You came here today, and nobody is in short pants. You know why? Because Michigan is starting to rear its ugly winter head. And you put on long pants and coats and vests because it was cold outside, and you didn't want the wind to hurt you because you love yourself. 
When you leave here, you're going to go and get something to eat. Somebody's saying, I hope he doesn't preach too long because I'm hungry already because I love myself. You treat yourself with respect and dignity. You pay money for people to do your nails and your hair. You pay money for people to cut your hair. You pay money for people to shave you. And if you don't have hair, they can spray it on your head now. You do all that stuff because you want to have dignity. Why? Because you love yourself. When you leave here, if it's possible, you paid rent this week or a mortgage at some point in time. Why? Because when it rains, you don't want to get wet and you pay for shelter because you love yourself. <laughs> you crave dignity and respect and to be heard because you love yourself. <laughs> so why not extend the same to others? So why am I not concerned when other people are hungry? Why am I not concerned when other people don't have food? Why am I not concerned when people freeze on the streets of Michigan? And I lay in my bed and I turn the heat up and won't even utter a prayer for them. Why is it that when I crave respect and dignity, but when I go out, I get my food from the waiter and I give them the smallest tip cost possible, don't even bother to learn their name. Won't even get off the phone when I go to the grocery store. That the person who's working a minimum wage job and probably have their second job to do all they can to make ends meet and they already feel insignificant. And I can't take 30 seconds to get off the phone and learn their name and look at their name tag and say, thank you for helping me today and bagging my groceries, John or Judy. To give them the respect and the dignity that I crave. Do we really love our neighbors? As ourselves? Do we really show the love that God wants us to show? He says to do no harm to your neighbor. When you love, you seek to help and not to harm. I'm going to come out the street and I'm going to come into your house. I want to tell everybody about my day, but why do I ask them how their day was? And before they can get a word out their mouth, I'm already talking about myself. My spouse came to me to talk to me about a problem they had with something I did. And I, instead of listening about the problem I had with what they did, I immediately started turning the conversation on what they're not doing for me. How would I feel if that was done to me? Do I really love my neighbor? Because your neighbor's not always in the next house. Sometimes your neighbor's in the same house. When I mess up at work, I want understanding. I want kindness and gentleness.
But when my child comes home with a bad grade, I'm yelling and I'm pestering and nagging them to death. Is that the love that I want? Am I really loving my neighbor as my? Who Jesus? Holy Ghost, you tricked me. <laughs> I was intended for it to be high energy. But God wants us to pay attention to something. How much are we really, truly loving our Would I want my wife to talk to me the way I talk to her? Would I want my husband to ignore me the way I ignore him? Would I want my children to yell at me the way I yell at them? Would I want my parents to be as disrespectful and disobedient to me as I am of them? See, it works in every way. Your neighbor is the person with whom you interact. Your neighbor's at the grocery store. Your neighbor's at your job. Your neighbor's at your school. Your neighbor's sleeping in the same bed with you. And the truth of the matter is, sometimes we treat the neighbors outside of the house much better than we do the ones that live under the same But you're still indebted. He said, oh, no man, nothing but to love them. And if you're speaking harshly to your spouse or your significant other, I'm going to say it. I know it sounds like a rebuke, and it is. Shame on you. If it's me, shame on me. Because they are the child of the most high God. They are God's son and they are God's daughter. How dare we put our mouth on somebody who God loved and he created and he died for. How dare we talk to a child of the most high God how we are just because they didn't do what we wanted them to do. How we wanted them to do it. Shame on us. You really want to love God with all your heart? I teach you how. I don't know if they pulled the power principle up, but if you did put it on the screen, I want you to see that. <coughs> this is our only power principle for today. What does it say? When you love somebody, you learn to love what they love. I hate Hallmark. I can't protect you past these doors. <laughs> My wife loves Hallmark movies. I had to learn to like. I'm in like right now. I'm working on love. I'm working on love. I'm working on love. I'm working on love. It's the process. <laughs> it's the process. Hallmark movies. Why? Because if it's important to them and I love them, then it should be important to me. A lot of times people don't catch it, but when I talk to people, especially in people who serve in jobs like waitresses and stuff where people overlook them, first thing I ask them, what's your name? Why is that? I forget a lot of people's names. I just do it because there's so many people talking to me. But I always ask their name, and I try to use their name at least once or twice. And if I forget it, I'll turn around and ask somebody with me, what's their name? Why? Because what I'm trying to say is you matter. If I asked you what does your wife or your husband or your children care about the most, what would you say? Do you even know? And if you do, have you dismissed it as not important because it's not important to you? That means you're not loving your neighbor. 
But if it's important to them, it should become important to what? You. That's okay. I ate this medicine before you did. I know how you feel right now. It's going to get better. (laughs) He says the whole law, everything, the Ten Commandments. If you read the Ten Commandments, that's what it was. If you will read the first five, it's got to do with God's relationship to us, our relationship to God. The next ones have to do with God's our relationship to everybody else. The first one, love the God, with Lord your God, with all your heart, and y'all shall, you shall not have any graven images. Then it starts talking about you shall not covet this and covet that. What is it doing? He's saying everything is summed up in this. Love God. Love your people. But the problem we have in the church is we try to love God and dismiss people, and you can't do it. You can't ignore your husband's needs and say you love God. You can't ignore your wife's needs and say you love God. How do I know that? Because Jesus says, how can you say you love me whom you never seen? That's what God said. And you hate your brother who you see every day. What did God call a person like that? What did he call him? You can say it. He called him a liar. He says, you lie and do not the truth. You can't love me if you don't love others. That's why it makes more sense when you come to the scriptures. And he tells men, dwell with your wife according to knowledge, because if you don't, try to understand your wife and live peaceably among us. He said that your prayers be not hindered. What is he saying? You can't love me until you love her. You can come and you can jump. You can cry. You can have an emotional fit. You can do all those things. I can lay your hands on you and you can fall down. And this is what God says. It sounds like clanging cymbals and brass in my ears. I'm not listening to any of it because how dare you? Guess why? When you love somebody, you love what they love. So why, why does it matter how I treat people? Because God so loved the world. He loves them. He loves us. He gave his only son for us. So if he's willing to give his son for us, that means he loves us. And if you truly love God, you love what he loves. He loves the sinner. The Bible says he's married to the backslider. You should love what he loves. I ask you a question today. Do you love what he loves? He wants the world to be saved. When you get somebody a gift, you try to get them what they love. I wanted to get my wife something fancy for her birthday. Her birthday is tomorrow. She likes she likes certain things, and she had this coat. I'm gonna pay for this later, but it's too late. <laughs> I'm already into the story. I bought this coat, this expensive coat. I even went out. I got a measuring thing to do the measurements because I didn't know how to do sizes. That's not my thing. I, I do apparel, but I don't really do coat sizes. I did all that stuff. Got her this fancy coat, and she said, I don't like the coat. It's wool. And she sent it back, and I was mad. <laughs> Why? Because every year, my wife is the most simplistic person in the world. All she wants is to go over to the Outback Steakhouse, get uh, whatever the steakhouse is, get some Parmesan-crusted chicken, Longhorn. They're all the same to me. She'll tell me where to go. Go to Longhorn, get this Parmesan-crusted chicken, 
and get me some cookies from American Cookies. That's all she wants. And I try to give her all this extravagant stuff, and she said, I don't want that. <laughs> so you know what I did? Even though I'd be out of town, I'd be here for her birthday. My wife didn't even know it, but she had some American cookies on the way to her. <laughs> Why? Now, to me, that's not an extravagant gift, but when it's big to her. So when you look at her face light up when she knows them cookies on the way. When, <laughs> when you love somebody, <laughs> you love what they love. It doesn't have to be important to you. If it's important to them, it then becomes important to you. So whatever is important to God is important to me. And you know who is important to God? You are. Do you love what he loves? Do you have a burden for the lost? Because that's what he loves. Do you care about those who are the least in the law? Do you have compassion for the sick and the sinner? Do you have concern for anyone besides yourself? That's what he loves, and this is what I want you to see. Pull up Matthew chapter 25, verses 35 and 40. I can prove it to you. That's how you love on God. That's how you love God. You love what he loves. Watch this. Matthew chapter 25, verses 35 through 40. Matthew 25, 34 through 40. Excuse me. Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 through 40. They might be pulling it up on the screen. I want you to read this together if they can grab it. Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 through 40. These are our last scriptures as we get ready to go today. What did it say? Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Mm. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you and naked or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to the least of my, these brethren, you did it to me. Because I love them. And you loved what I love. You showed to me that you loved me because you loved what I loved. I ask you one last time do you love what he loves? When you survey how you treat the people that are right next to you, do you love what he loves? When you look at the person that you're dating or the person that you're married to or the people that are in school with you or the people that are on TV that think politically different than you do, do you really love what he loves? Mm, if you can't say amen. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Tough Sunday, Brother Dave. 
I'm glad we could all laugh together. <laughs> I'm just going to read this. There's no better way to do it. I'm going to give it to you just how God gave it to me. Are you willing to give God what he loves? If you love your neighbor, you'll give them the gospel. We have both a social and a spiritual responsibility to our neighbor. And if you love your neighbor, you will care about their soul. The best way you can love your neighbor is to give them the gospel. Real love doesn't satisfy the want. Real love satisfies the needs. Clothes will fade. Food may spoil. But a saved soul will last forever. As Brother Dave comes and we come to the altar and the praise team, some of the praise team comes back. The altar is open. Today is not a time of judgment. Today is a day of introspection and challenging. If you know you're not loving your neighbor how you need to, and I'll go ahead and lift the weight off of you. Don't feel guilty. That's all of us. And you'd like to love your neighbor a little bit more, come to this altar. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him and he may answer you. If you can't get up and get on the knees here, that's fine. If you want to come to, to a, a pew or a chair and sit on the front row, we just want to spend some time loving on God and being honest with God. I really haven't loved people. Man, I've been doing this all week. Can you imagine? You've sat here for an hour. Can you imagine reading this stuff over and over and praying over this for a week and thinking about not just the stuff you did, but the stuff that I've done? I got to do better, y'all. I'm going to be honest. I don't sit up here and tell you stuff and I'm high and mighty. I got to do better. So I know you feel like you got to do better because I have much work to do. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Twas blind, but now I see. The altar is open for those who want to learn to love what he loves today. Brother Dave. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. Altar, altar call is a time for everyone to exercise your faith.